0: Welcome to the first episode of Melbourne Speaks Poetry, the podcast of Melbourne Spoken Word, where we discuss the unique art form of spoken word within and around Melbourne. Firstly, we'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is being recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and we wish to acknowledge them as traditional custodians. We would also like to pay our respects to their elders past and present, and the elders from other communities who may be listening. In this episode, episode zero, we'll introduce ourselves, the podcast, discuss its purpose, and what is this art form we call Spoken Word. So, we're going to start by going around the room and introducing ourselves. Um, my name is Benjamin. I'm the Grand Poobah or <laughs> director of Melbourne Spoken Word. Um, and I've been involved in Spoken Word since about 2010, 2011. Um, It's all the fault of Santo Cazarte. He introduced me to passionate tongues and I got up and read and got really addicted to it. And so now I've been running Melbourne Spoken Word for about four or five years. Um, And with me, I have four members of the Melbourne Spoken Word committee. Um, There's also, so we have Brendan, Esme, Amanda and Anthony with me. We also have um, Ella Finelska and Kendra Keller. And um, Rowan White, who are also members of the committee, but um, not with us today. So we're going to start by going around the room and introducing ourselves. How about we start with the senator, Anthony <laughs> O'Sullivan. Uh,
1: hello, my name is Anthony O'Sullivan, and I am a, a part-time occasional poet and a long-term gig runner of the Melbourne spoken word scene. I slaved under John Garrett for years. Uh, running the spinning room, and now I run the Alan Cat readings in Richmond. Uh, and I don't know how I got started. I was not a good enough musician or a funny enough comedian, so here I am. What was the first place you open mic at? Lentil as anything in St Kilda was the first place I open mic at. Um, I was living in St Kilda and uh, and got invited by some random dude on the street who was wearing a no effects t-shirt if I'd like to read poetry out the front of a vegetarian cafe <laughs> <laughs> and I thought yeah that, yeah that sounds about right I'm 21 years old at the time and uh, and yeah I was uh, I was studying classical literature so as I've spoken to about with Amanda I was of the opinion that no poetry had been written in 250 years and anybody who was still trying to do it was in some case kidding themselves <laughs> and, uh, and I, he's like yeah, you should come, you know, there's some really good poets out there. No, they're all, they've all been dead for a long time <laughs> and, Obviously uh, changed a great deal Yeah, I've changed a great deal <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I read and there were some very talented people there Steve Smart was there, Michael Reynolds um, people who those in the Melbourne spoken word scene will know quite well and uh, I read my poetry, which was all full of thou's <laughs> and arts. I was attempting to be Christina Rossetti for some reason. And um, and no one no one liked it, <laughs> including myself. But, uh, yeah, that started me on a slippery slope. And before I knew it, I was helping organise overload gigs and running the spinning room in Paran and calling myself a bloody spoken word artist.
2: Mm-hmm
0: spec white
1: art. Oh, artist, <laughs> yeah. Are
2: you serious about the thou and arts? About the... Were you really reading poetry with thou and
1: arts? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Thou shalt. Oh, yeah, I was doing all that stuff. Yeah, I thought that was the height of literary genius.
3: Was it your own poetry?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I genuinely thought my future would lay in uh, being a, a literature professor and telling anybody who thought they could... Uh, Write poetry these days—that they were delusional. It was—it was—it'd been done. The, the the art form of poetry had been won in the seventeenth and eighteenth centuries, <laughs> and anybody doing it now was just a frustrated novelist who didn't and, know how to finish a page.
4: So you went from that to competing
1: in slams. <laughs> yes, I went from that to being a a, a rapper. <laughs>
0: Wow, okay. Um, Next up is Amanda Anastasi. Hi,
4: Ben. Hi. Hi, all. Um, Okay, so I came onto the spoken word scene around the same time as Ben did, um, around 2010, and I started off, I I won a few page poetry competitions and then I sort of found the scene, um, started reading and really loved the immediate sort of response because if you get stuff published on the page, you don't know who's reading it. Um, I, I used to go to the spinning room. I went. To, I think the first gig I went to was an MPU reading when it was at, back in the um, Nicholas building. Mm. Um, and I currently run La Mama Poetica. Um, and, yeah, there's four a year. I really enjoy it. Um, I have been in a few spoken word shows, but at the moment I'm sort of focusing more on the page. But um, I love the sound of the human voice, the, the, um, poetry being read out loud. I think it should be done more. Um, and yeah.
0: So well, your first open mic was at MPU. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who introduced um, you to MPU?
4: I have no idea. I just went on, the, there was no Melbourne spoken com then, but mm-hmm. I found out about it somewhere. Nice, and, nice um, plug. Mm. Yeah, well
1: done Yeah, yeah. It was no I mean, spoken you used, word you, dot com back then, Ben. Yeah,
4: <laughs> you had to do Google searches and work out what you know. You had to hunt for it.
1: Yeah, I um, just met a
0: colourful man on a on a train. We went to protest together, and he was wearing a weird hat. And he was like, "I know you. You're a writer and a communist, aren't you?" And I'm like, "Yes, yes, I am." And he's like, "I'm just going to this uh, spoken word poetry <laughs> event uh, at the Brunswick Hotel called Passionate Tongues. It's very grassroots, very um, cutting edge." I can um, Just imagine this. And he yep. and I was like, "Okay." And I like wrote down the details, and then I. The next fortnight I came along and he was sitting at a table with Bridget Lewis and um, a guy called Reese, who I don't think is around anymore. Mm. He's like introducing me to people and like, um, yeah, and then I met Michael Reynolds. So cool.
1: a, a, can I just say, Melbourne spoken word does not encourage people to randomly follow colourful men home from tram trips. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we, we leave Santo. it up to you to. Santa is pretty harmless. So the, first, yes, the first
4: spinning room. <laughs> pretty harmless. <laughs> the first spinning room I went to, Santo is actually emceeing it. And, um, yeah, yeah. Did, were you at that one?
0: Yeah, I was at that one. That was my first time and, in the spinning room. Yeah.
4: yeah, and he was the first friend I made on the spoken word scene. He goes, oh, you're a pianist as well. You're Italian. You're, you're left wing. Oh, my God. That's so much in common. <laughs> yeah, it was great.
3: <laughs> but what, uh, what year was that when you first turned up at Passionate Tongues? I'm pretty sure it was
0: 2010. I had a long ponytail and I didn't wear glasses.
1: Oh, yeah, I remember that. I yeah.
4: remember you, yeah. Yeah. You, looked very different.
1: Mm. Yeah. What? Um... <laughs> young and...
0: Young, young and, and yeah. angry. <laughs> yeah, I was very angry. <laughs> I'm very angry. Yeah, You were I re- angry. My first poem I ever read at Spinning Room, um, and uh, it was about killing bosses. It was called Going Postal. Mm. Yeah, I remember <laughs> yeah. that. It was very You've lark.
4: really mellowed out since then. Yeah, I've yeah. just
0: him weirder, so, like, I think I've gotten more cynical, so, yeah. Well, we've, got,
1: we've gotten more used to you. I think okay, more yeah. Like it. <laughs>
0: So, Esme, how did you get introduced to Spoken Word?
2: Well, for a long time and still, I was and am a flash fiction writer. And I used to get this feedback, um, this color and sound and rhythm in your stories, but where's the plot line? (laughs) Um, And for a long time, I kept trying to shove a plot line into my stories until one day I realized color, sound, rhythm... I think I might be writing poetry. So I signed up for a, a poetry course at the Council of Edna Education with Judith Rodriguez. Um,
4: I studied with Judith as well, a deacon, yeah. A she's
2: she's, ama- she's an amazing teacher. Um, and she lent me a CD once, um, In Their Own Voices, which was all these amazing poets reading their own poetry in their own voices, and I don't understand Robbie Burns in his own voice at all. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> But that started me thinking, poetry really comes alive when Mm -hmm. you hear it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when I Googled, you know, spoken word events or poetry events and came across Melbourne Spoken Word and started going to gigs and stuff.
0: Um, So what was your first open mic?
2: Oh, you're going to have to help me with this one. Um, The one that Christian Ezra used to run. Slam
0: of the Century at my handlebar? Yeah. Yeah, I remember meeting you there. Christian Ezra ran a great gig, like like a very um a very what would you call it like a relaxed relaxed slam like it wasn't really a slam but
2: no it was it was really more an open mic that we called a slam Mm -hmm. um the first um event i went to see was actually a melbourne poets union event um Mm -hmm. at wheeler center um and the first open mic i went to or slam i went to was at slam of the century that was good fun Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. Cool. And and I first saw you at um, Miss Millie's.
2: Yeah, that was probably three or four um, so open mics in Miss Millie's.
3: Yeah, yeah, it was very early. Yeah. yeah. And
0: I was very impressed. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> And what are you up to now, Esme?
2: I guess I go to gigs and I try and perform at as, as many of them as I can. Um, That's about it, I suppose. Oh, and I perform under the name Waffle Iron Girl. um, And for the record, I will answer to the name Waffle.
4: That's good to know. (laughs) I've been asked that. (laughs) And
0: if you talk too much, can we say Waffle is waffling on? No. (laughs) No, okay. Uh
1: Ben's going to do his best to make this a pun podcast. (laughs) I will find
0: so many puns to come up
1: with. You can do better than that, Ben. Ben. That's only one. You, we that's, need a little that's, bell. That's only. A, that's a challenge when you say to Ben, you can do better than that. He takes that as a challenge.
2: I know. This is going to be fun. Yeah. I actually made my first pun a few months ago. First time <laughs> I ever made a pun in my life.
0: I like to think I had something to do with that. Yeah, pretty sure. <laughs> of course you do. And also you're the cover star of Audacious 4, which is <laughs> <That's pretty much, laughs> um, <clears throat> we've just uh, released the pre-orders at the time of the recording and um we stuck up the cover today and the cover photo was taken by our next guest uh Brendan Bonsack who is a new member of the Melbourne Spoken Word Committee welcome Brendan
3: hello thank you <laughs> um the question how did i get into spoken word yeah i'm a pretty i'm a newcomer yeah um only a year really uh I was walking somewhere else, going to someone's house in Carlton and I walked past the Dan O'Connell and I saw that there was some people mm. in there and they looked pretty happy and they were, they were <laughs> laughing and happy? clapping and, <laughs> and I found out it was a poetry thing. And for some reason, I think somebody said you get a free beer if you read. Uh, for the first if time. If you read for the first mm. time. It was a reel. <laughs> so, yeah, I tried that out. Uh, I didn't have any poems, but I'm a musician, so I had some songs in my head. I've always got songs in my head. And I just read a song and uh, fiddled with Mm. the choruses a bit. And it seemed to go down well. And then Libby welcomed me with open arms and said, Mm. come back next week, we're having a competition. Mm -hmm. And I I won the prize for that. And then I thought, oh, this is fun. I'll try some more ones. And then stumbled across Melbourne Spoken Word, as you do spokenword.com mm-hmm. as you do and found many many gigs on there i was a newcomer to facebook then as well so so i was a discovering up. yeah discovering <laughs> a, a really tight-knit community and that's something about the spoken word scene although i don't like the word scene but uh, scene community yeah community uh, shemuzzle. Cult. I like
1: the word shemuzzle. <laughs> what about
3: cult? Cult is also cult. Cult, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. cult. But I'm really impressed with the way people really look after each other. You know, there seem to be some really strong friendships in the poetry community. And a lot of people, they really, they really know each other. They seem to have known each other for a long time. Even if they haven't, they seem mm. to have just, um, you know, formed that bond. And I don't know if it's just through a love of words
1: or... The fact that it is a strange little cult. Megan Bell, who is a very talented writer, who's a, a, who I've known for more than a decade, uh, in a very similar way to me, she said that uh, the only poets that she knew were in their eighties when she was living in Country Victoria, and she thought it was a like much like I did. I, through my, I decided it was a dead medium. She thought it just was a dead medium, you know. And when she came along to her first group of poetry readings, she was introduced to it by Steve Smart, which a lot of people could probably say. Mm. She found not just a different group of people who were still working in the field of poetry and spoken word, but an incredibly diverse group of people who were working in poetry and spoken word, some of whom were really focused on the idea of it being a live art form. As Esme Mm. said, it's a different beast when it's spoken aloud.
2: Mm.
1: But there's also the people who were poets first and foremost, writers first and foremost, who occasionally will go to a gig and read and knock your socks off. But they're not, you know, first and foremost spoken word artists. They're poets. And uh, I think that's the community aspect of it. Like Brendan said, we're brought together because we're lovers of words, whether they're spoken words or written words, but just Mm. the joy of the language.
3: Mm. When you get up there on a, you know, you're sharing part of yourself and you're on a stage and you're in front of a lot of people, you've really only got the microphone between you and the audience, sometimes you don't even have that, uh, you know, say for the owl and cat and the mama um, paper waves,
4: mm.
3: uh, you're really, you're vulnerable. And, oh, you're,
4: yeah.
3: <laughs> and you're, asking pe- you're asking a lot of trust and uh, it's reciprocated.
4: I don't think, I still get, have that feeling of, oh, I'm revealing myself and that vulnerability every time I get on the open mic. Still, I mean, um, you get used to the performance aspect, but it's always, you're always opening up part of yourself. It's always scary. I handle that by going into
2: a fugue state, (laughs)
4: not
2: (laughs) remembering what happens when I'm up there. That helps a bit. I remember the first time I went to the Dan um, and what really impressed me about it, although the poetry was beautiful and some of the performances were beautiful, was actually um, Steve Smart was um, emceeing at the time, how he took care of every single person who Mm. went up on the open mic regardless of their um, standard or regardless of whether they were new or, you know, had been there a hundred times, whether they walked off the street, did their piece and walked out straight away or stayed for the whole thing. Um, everyone just got the, not the same, but, uh, a very focused and individual piece of care from, from, um, from him as a Kamina and MC. Um, and that's something I see a lot in the community as well, um, as a whole.
0: I think that's what um, kept me coming back because as well as being a poet and a spoken word artist, well, I wasn't then. I was mostly writing prose and fiction, like very bad uh, Stephen King ripoff short stories. <laughs> um, I just used to write things that I, oh, that's right. For a while I called myself a Marxist horror writer. And so my I whole remember idea,
4: that.
0: I, my whole thing was like, I wanted to write short stories that were, like, about revealing the horrors of capitalism. So it was, like, these grotesque, like, Stephen King, like, rip-offs about, like, bosses killing workers and, like, it was just, yeah. (laughs)
1: Soylent green sort of stuff. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I love movies like Eat the Rich and all that sort of stuff. Um, But what I found when I came to the spoken word scene is because I'd spent so much time, like, submitting stories or submitting bits of writing to, like, journals or whatnot, and sometimes you'd never hear back or you'd just hear, like, get, like, a a form rejection and you'd never know whether you were getting close or not or like what to improve in order to to get better but when you got up on like the passion and tongue stage and like you could you kind of get like immediate feedback from the audience like people react to certain Mm -hmm. parts um like laugh in certain places or like um, you and then people will come up and talk to you afterwards and go, oh, that was really mm. great. Santo's always great for that because you can, if you look out into the audience, always look for the, the mm. man in the colourful shirt and the colourful hat because he's like viscerally, is that the right word, visceral? Viscerally, yes. yeah, reacting. Yeah. Always um, reacting. Something he was like, like, a, like nodding his head and like kind of really getting he, into
4: he's, it and it's like He's Shush. like a cheerleader. Yeah yeah um, <laughs> he was very supportive of me too, and yeah. that really helped me to get my confidence up yeah
1: um, I think that's a that's a, a very important aspect of what Melbourne spoken word does as an organization because as an organization we don't run our own gigs. obviously uh, in the room we have some people who run gigs here in the room and in the comi- in the committee we have quite a few people who run their own gigs. but Melbourne spoken word is a community first. That encourages people to find places to express themselves, and because of the variance and the and the and the dichotomy between the, the styles and types of writers that we have in Melbourne, there's different gigs that suit different people better.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, you know, I, I I when I was starting out, I was intimidated by the Dan O'Connell. It was full of old, angry, drunk people, <laughs> and all they wanted to, to talk about was leftist politics, Shame. and uh, yeah. and and women who'd broken their heart. And here I am trying to be a a, a 17th century bard with a ruffly shirt.
4: Yeah, writing is such a solitary thing. And so, you know, um, having that community is so important in so many ways. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. Do Do you find that you write differently when you know you're going to perform something?
4: No. No, that's one thing I don't do. I always write for the page. And then I select which poems are best for performance from that. Yeah. Um, the only time I wrote for performance was when I wrote Lip City with Steve Smart um, and we had a violinist behind us and that was the first time that I actually wrote um, for performance. And um, and I am that woman that I did a fringe show with. So some of them were page poems and some were written for performance, but on the whole when I'm not working on a spoken word show, I'm writing for the page, which I think... I love hearing page poetry performed well. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the, the challenge. I love the originality that you find in page poetry. It's, you know. Um, and, yeah, yeah, it's, um, that's how I work.
3: What about you, Esme?
2: My range has broadened since I started performing, yeah. um, I don't think it's a conscious thing. It's not like I'm thinking, I'm going to perform this, so I'm going to write something to perform at a p- particular event. Um, but I've just quite naturally started writing a range of different things um, which don't necessarily work on the page at all. Um, things. I think it's more that things I used to edit away or put in a trash bin straight away now has another alternative home to go to.
3: As correct. in the stage? Yes. Hmm. Yes, there are pieces I write that are only per f- for performance um, and I write them with that in mind. Um, and it's similar to writing a song, like you write a song for the sound of it. Um, mm. and I think performance poetry, for me anyway, uh, has a certain music or rhythm mm. to it. Mm. And also I think it tends to be a bit longer. I wouldn't like to say that I padded things, but Mm -hmm. uh, I do try to make them a little longer than I would on a page. Mm -hmm.
2: That's interesting. My pieces for the stage tend to be more crisp.
4: That's interesting.
2: Because I've got other things to add to it. Um, when i'm writing for the page i've got to explain everything i'm not there with the tone of my voice with the look of my face with my hands to add anything to it whilst um, in performance you can strip all that away there's so much other color that you can add
0: i usually find with spoken word and the thing that attracted me more to it was kind of the freedom to talk more like colloquially or like use slang and like play around with kind of like more I guess like um uh, contemporary language um mm. and like whereas like page poetry I felt the need to like strip it down or like get everything tied and make sure every word counts whereas like I kind of like it when spoken word artists talk with the ums and the, the ahs and the kind of like the turns of phrase that are kind of like a little bit clever or kind of or sometimes even don't make sense um but they've kind of like
4: to that direct, natural way of communicating.
0: Yeah, so mm. a lot of my pieces I feel like I'll just talk about it in like a conversational kind of way because mm-hmm. um, I'm interested in like the way people usually speak in conversation or whatever. Um.
3: I love the theatricality that you see on the stage as well. There's a real, there can be a real uh, performance, theatre performance, I expect, to it. So you think like people like Amy Bedossian, you know, mm. has a real, theatrical flair to her performance and it's uh, as much about and and Esme as well um, it's about the body um, as much as the words Mm. and I think obviously that's lost on the page Yes, it's a real
4: crossover of art forms really Mm -hmm. in the one performance Yeah
3: And you think about people like uh, say Tim Evans who comes from a comedy background Mm. Uh, his poetry is also like a comic performance.
4: Mm. Well, the best uh, spoken word is when the poet's personality just comes through and when you feel that the poet is being absolutely themselves and has really found and embraced their own voice. Um, and that's why, you know, listening to Amy Bedossian is so special and, um, and, and yeah, I think it's important to really find your own voice and try not to imitate the people around you too much um originality is hugely important to me
3: mm. if I'm... you think of people like sister zai who can just who's not terribly rehearsed mm. but just an incredible storyteller
4: an incredible presence an as incredible well.
3: presence she can just walk into a room mm. and you know ah oh, the storyteller has arrived mm. tell mm. us a story sister mm. and um she can just sort of gauge the mood of the room and pick pieces that suit it
0: Mm. I absolutely love the piece. Sister Desire does the Red River Gum piece. It's just a very long story about um, a tree and, like, Mm -hmm. and the way she performs it and she's kind of smiling the whole time and I'm just, like, and I'm a naturally anxious person, so I'm just, Mm -hmm. like, it's, like, the best. um,
4: It's a meditative experience.
0: Yeah, and I just (laughs) sit back and I'm, like, oh, this is so relaxing. Like, I just, Mm. like, it's pretty amazing how, like, someone just through their words can make you feel like that, or maybe it's not just the words, but, like, that's the kind of tool they have, and it makes you feel calm, which is mm. pretty nice.
3: I think, uh, you know, um, the obvious gig, which Melbourne Spoken Word hosted recently, was similar to that too. You could feel the presence of obvious as soon as he walked onto the stage, and he just... Uh, you know, he could say anything, he just had the audience in the palm of his hand. Um, yeah, it was
0: the stories he told between the poetry as well that were kind of part of the experience, I guess. So we wanted to talk a little bit about the point of the podcast and this was the reason for doing an episode zero, I guess, of Melbourne Speaks Poetry. Um, and first I'd like to acknowledge uh, Mandy Petit um, and Krish Prasad who both... Um, suggested the idea of a podcast as well as anthony o'sullivan who's in the room but christian and mandy are no longer part of the committee but we wanted to acknowledge them because um yeah they were suggesting this for a while and uh we were like we'll get around to it and now we are um so the point of melbourne speaks poetry i guess is that um there's a lot of already a lot of radio shows about about poetry or Um, With poetry on it, like 3CR Spoken Word, which is 9am on Thursday mornings and Mm -hmm. multi-storied, quite a big supporter of Melbourne Spoken Word and they have guests on who perform poetry. But I guess the point of Melbourne Speaks Poetry is about discussing and debating the art form of Spoken Word, especially in the context of what we think is a pretty great scene in Melbourne. And so I guess what do you guys think about the value of like discussing spoken word as an art form and what do you think we're likely to get out of it?
2: I was preparing to perform or to compete at my first slam, Slam and Lama Ding Dong. Um, I was at work, um, locked myself in the meeting room um, last minute before I caught the tram there, preparing, trying to memorise the piece. Uh, I made the mistake of looking at my Facebook feed just before I was about to leave and the first thing I saw was a, a piece that someone had sprayed out about how derivative slam was and all the tropes in slam. And there I was in the room bawling my eyes out, nervous already, going... There's no way I can go do the slam. I am every single one of these tropes. Every single one of them. I fit every single one of them. Um, And that was in a vacuum. I had to get Krish, who happened to be online at the time, to talk me down from the tree and say, get off your ass, go perform. The point is, though, that when you're in a vacuum, everything sounds important. When you're not discussing with with people, it feels like all these elders in the community mm-hmm. have a hold of all the opinions and what they say is correct and must be the truth. Now, I'm not debating whether or not that piece that came out was or wasn't true. It was true in some places and maybe not so accurate in others. The point was that unless I was talking to other people mm-hmm. about it and hearing other views, it stood as
4: truth for me. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I think, look, and, and, you know, when you read those articles on Facebook, you get all the comments underneath and everybody's on, people are commenting on Facebook, they can be quite harsh. And I like the idea of people sitting around in person <laughs> discussing spoken word in a, you know, in a way where we can share ideas and and what we feel spoken word encompasses and Yeah, Yeah. and there are a lot of things that come up that we wish we could just have a bunch of poets and talk about openly with.
0: And getting people from different sides of um, the spoken word scene or the spoken word community to kind of have a discussion about what that means, of course, because a lot of people go to the same gigs, but there's also, um, I guess, some people have their favourite gigs or their favourite styles and kind of bringing it together because in the end we're all kind of doing poetry and, like, no one really... No one's about to say that, like, this form of poetry isn't poetry at all or another form, like, that's all rubbish or whatever. I think um, if we can have some sort of discussion about those things in future, like slam or um, or some of the other ideas we've had. Um, page. Like, yeah, the contribution of page poetry to spoken word and how that relates.
3: Would you say there's uh, anything that's
1: out of scope? I guess you'd have to... Interpretive dance, I think, is an area we shouldn't cover in the Melbourne Spoken Word. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of
4: dance, so it happens on stage.
1: um,
3: Although, having said that, Ariel Cottyam has a piece that relies a lot on dance. And movement. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Like, later on, we'll have a chat about, like, what is spoken word and what falls under that really broad category and very, I guess, movable category do you think it's useful to have debates and disagreements and how about how, do, how are we going to go about doing that i suppose
1: i don't know it needs to be a debate or a disagreement this has been for a long time well before melbourne spoken word or any of us were on the scene melbourne has had a poetry spoken word community that has been full of fights and <laughs> bickering and 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 Friendships and and happiness and and and, and creative badges. joy and all of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I suppose the the benefit of having a podcast now is that we can express just how little these small issues are mm-hmm. when compared to the bulk of what it is that we do. We're individually, we're all artists. This is the community we live in.
0: And, of course, the people who, I guess, aren't sitting around the table and listening to the podcast can also offer their own thoughts and tell us if we're if we're saying things that they don't particularly agree with, as long as you don't call Grand Pooba like, a dictator or something, that's totally fine. <laughs> um, Grand Pooba is a dictator. <laughs> yeah. So I guess uh, wrapping up this thing, uh, talking about the point of the podcast, what are, like, some things that, like, Like opinions or, like, I guess issues that often come out, like maybe if you're chatting in the beer garden after a gig or um, or things that, I guess, pop up on Facebook or people write articles about that I think are worth probably discussing in future. And I think the thing with, I'll say first, I think the thing with Slam is, like, something that's worth discussing because every five seconds it seems like someone writes an article on Facebook either saying Slam is, like, the best thing ever it's like the future it's the revolution and then there's other people like i went to a slam once and they were all terrible and rubbish and like slam has no value i can't believe people are putting on slams and it's discrediting poetry it's not real
1: poetry well i i I am notorious for starting fights on facebook (laughs) on both sides of the fence because there are countless slam poets, performance poets, whose fixation with the idea of performance and stage prohibits them from learning the craft of writing that is the most important thing. When it comes to being a, a spoken word performer, or a poet, a writer, a novelist, anything else, the first and foremost thing you need to do is learn how to write. And for a lot of them, flapping about and screaming and using drama passes in a slam will win you prizes in a slam does it make you a good writer no on the same side there are people who are so fixated on the idea of being a a poet intellectual driven by uh, what they believe to be the right way of going about poetry and they will spit bile on anybody who is capable of delivering their poetry in a in a in a in a, in, in an entertaining way Does that mean that all performers are bad writers? No, it doesn't. The arguments that we get into are more and more based on the idea that neither side sees the benefit of being part of the other group. Mm. But there's more groups than that as well. There's people who think that traditional poetry is boring, people who don't read poetry but write it, people who only perform other people's work and are seen as somehow um, piggybacking on the scene because they're not out there creating their own work Mm -hmm. first and we celebrate the fact that poetry still breathes and lives and exists and a well-read poem by someone else is still a well-read poem it still communicates to the audience and I start fights because to me I, I just don't understand how anyone has a fixed idea of this is what poetry is because it's not that it never has been it's never been fixed It's always been fluid. You may as well say rap's not poetry. You may as well say that Shakespeare didn't write poetry because it doesn't communicate to us in the way that it did to the masses back then, but it was communication for the masses back then. As rap is communication to the masses now, it makes it no better or worse or lesser or better, only just the same continuing, tumbling human experience of language that we've been using to communicate laughter and love and sorrow and pain and all, everything else that we want to communicate about our experience. Well,
2: it seems like a really good start to defining what we think spoken word
0: actually is. Mm-hmm. What is spoken word? How would you define it? I The way I put it is like, I was catching an Uber the other day and I was saying, "Oh, for work I I run spoken word events and I run this thing called Melbourne Spoken Word. And the guy was like, what is spoken word poetry and i've had numerous conversations with people who are like what the hell is spoken word and i'm like always fumbling for how the hell i explain it if you guys have had that question like how do you answer that
4: engaging with an audience through oral performance um the more poetic the more appealing it is for me and it is it is about engaging with people through spoken word you're you know It's a hard thing to define, isn't it? It covers so much. I mean, if you look at what, you know, someone like Anna Fern does, sound poetry, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, where it's mainly sound uh, being used to communicate um, more so than words in some poems. So that's why I say oral performance, because that's the form of communication we're using and it just covers a whole gamut of styles and, yeah. Yeah.
2: Mine's not so different from yours. I define spoken word as a practice. Um, And I think it's, for me, spoken word is primarily a practice rather than a performance, but a practice where um, one performs in front of people with the primary tool being the voice, the speaking voice. Mm. Um, With music and beats can be the backing, can be part of it but it's the speaking voice
3: it's very broad it's it's any it's any method that you choose it's your three or five minutes to just stand in front of a a group of people and offer some part of yourself and that may be through data you know making silly noises (laughs) it could be i mean i've seen poets who just stand there don't say very much at all. They might have... They use you know, silence. They use as a lot of all. silence, yeah. Mm. As long as that three or five minutes is engaging the audience in mm. some way, I think you've achieved...
4: Well, it's about communication, isn't it?
3: Yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah. And
0: there's, like, people like, I guess, Henry Rollins or other people do what they will call, we'll call spoken word, where it's essentially just talking to the state, talking to the audience for, like, an hour or so. Um, that can fit within spoken word. And then there's other things that are more, like... I guess, like, Rochelle Fong does the virtual reality stuff and most of her words are projected through a computer voice that's played over the top while she's, like, acting out the virtual reality situation. For me, it still falls under spoken word because, one, it's engaging with the audience, but the majority of the way in which she's communicating is is through the the voiceover and kind of the way that voice is communicating to her.
1: You've mastered an instrument. It's no different to being a, a concert pianist, or a, or, or, or you know, a singer in a rock band. You have an instrument which is your voice, and that is why you've been invited to perform. Why you've been invited? Why you've been uh, allowed to perform on the open mic? That is your instrument. If on top of that instrument, you're also, you know, uh, sculpting, or dancing, or using audiovisual components. To, to be a spoken word artist, the reason that, that you've been asked to be there is because you've mastered this instrument, the human voice and the way to deliver it, a story or a, an idea through whatever medium you choose, be it A-B, A-B, rhyming couplets, stream of consciousness, PIO style. You know, there's any number of ways you can go about using the instrument, but it's the instrument of the spoken, the human voice spoken out loud that has been what has brought you in front of the audience?
2: I think for me, though, that it's easier to define by what it's not. And I find Rochelle Fong's stuff extremely entertaining, intriguing and thought-provoking, but some of the pieces she does that uses far more um, enhancements, enhanced voice and computer voice, I see it more as theatre than spoken word.
4: Yeah, there there are many cases where you feel theatre is crossing over with spoken word, you know, monologue-style performances, um, sound poetry. Yeah, there's a lot of crossover there with a lot of
0: performance. It's the same with um, Scott Sneddon or Scott mm. Wings' um, stuff. He produces more things that are more like shows or whatever, Colossi and Icarus Falling at two recent productions. He's taken it to Fringe and stuff where he's kind of moved from like pieces that used to, I used to see him do like pieces that are like three minutes or like more kind of within that realm of slam. And then he's moved into like these theater productions that are mostly, I feel like they're still mostly spoken word because it's about what he's saying and the voice and, um, and so forth. But he's moving around like in Colossae, he's running around, you know, fighting orcs and dragons and talking to his imaginary friend. And it's quite entertaining, but I still feel the majority of what he's putting out is, is spoken word even if it's not like I guess some people might reduce spoken word just down to like I guess like orally read out poetry whereas like I feel like that's part of it like you can have people like Ian McBride or Amanda like reading off the page and the page poetry being quite moving in the way that you read it or whatever but then like there's stuff that like play around with those edges and like Mm. I guess challenge what you might call spoken word and those things are kind of within that as well, without just, I guess, saying that anything can be called spoken word, if you call it spoken word-like.
2: Does spoken word have to be mainly poetry?
1: Poetry is a broad term in itself. It is a broad term in itself. And I, I don't I don't think it has to be, but...
2: I just ask because the two words get used so Synology. interchangeably yeah. and synonymously.
3: Mm-hmm. And when you look at something question. like... Um, you look at the, the crossover between a stand-up comedian...
0: Mm. and, and, another and a stand-up
3: poet sometimes mm. poetry is really funny yeah but mm. does that make it comedy or does that make it poetry what's the part mm. that makes it a poem
1: yeah uh, well i've i, I not uh, i have done both um stand-up comedy and music and I've, look if you give me a stage and a microphone i'll find something to do 15 minutes and i've had people come to poetry gigs of mine and say that was really funny that was quite good. You know, I didn't I thought you were just gonna stand up there and read poems, but you were quite chatty and you talked to the crowd. And I've had people come to my stand-up gigs and go, Wow, you got, you really got deep on that one, didn't you? That was <laughs> that was a bit uh that got dense.
2: Do yeah. you have to write? Do you have to write? I mean I've I haven't been to spoken word events, but I've been to um nominal rap or hip hop events. Um can you Freestyle. Can You Kick It? it Can way, You Kick It is
1: very freestyle. <laughs> yeah. Horse's
2: Yes, at Horse's Bazaar yeah. where um, some of the stuff is really poetic and if it mm. weren't for the backing beat, it could well be a spoken word event um, where you put out random words and riff to
3: it. Hamish Danks Brown in the spoken word prize last year, he, he hadn't prepared, he hadn't written that.
1: He riffed mm. it. He riffed really? it. Really?
3: Yeah.
1: But then what do we count as writing, putting pen to paper? Or do we count writing as I, I I don't I don't put pen on paper very often these days. I have my phone in my pocket, it's an iPhone with a notes section, and I'm on the bus on the way to work, and I yeah, write I write on my phone, it.
0: or I write. Mm. I find sometimes I can't write um, poetry even in a Word document or whatever. I I have to write it as a Facebook status update. Mm-hmm. So I write it as a Facebook status update because there's something about the immediacy of like communicating via that that makes me write in a certain way, or actually like instead of just. Maybe I think if I just write in a Word document, like it'll stay in the Word document and I'll never go back to it. Whereas like I feel like if I'm going to press send on it right now and put it out to Facebook, then like then that's going to make me write in a certain way or will actually kind of finish the piece or finish the whole idea. But I've met poets who have never like pre kind of prescribed what they're going to say or or by writing it down, but they've, thought about it and like kind of memorised it in their head without writing it down and then got up and performed like a three-minute piece, like it's a fully memorised, rehearsed piece. The only way that they've committed it to memory is by just committing it to memory or just saying it aloud. And That's like,
4: amazing. That
0: would terrify me because mm. I still need to write it down even to
1: to remember it. Same. Um, but it works the same way with stand-up comedy and musicians as well. There's a, <clears throat> a lot of musicians who can't write, music they can't put the notes in the right place you give them a piece of a sheet of you know lined music paper mm-hmm. and they wouldn't be able to write where the notes go but they learn how to play the instrument and then every time they're asked to play that song they play the notes
3: mm-hmm.
1: i think it was Bark that said playing the piano is easy you just sit down and hit the keys it's hitting them in the right order that's the hard part <laughs> and that is the same with spoken word it's it, it, like speaking is easy I, I do it... Well, for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, bit, it's communicating with the audience and getting across your ideas that, comes, that becomes the hard part, putting the words in the right order and then communicating them correctly.
3: I think something, though, I think uh, just on the, the writing bit, I would say even memorising something and then getting on stage... Even though you haven't committed pen to paper, that's still writing because it's mm. there's an element of rehearsal in it, mm-hmm. whereas riffing is just making it up as you go along, which is – that's the, the difference for me.
0: I've tried a little bit of freestyling. I don't really go so well, but like – No,
3: yeah. I'm, I'm terrible at that, that
4: That's another thing we can talk about, memorising poetry as opposed to reading it.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And um, I, I tried uh, – you know, I went through a period when, when I was memorising poems, and some poems you naturally memorise because you've read it so many times. Um, but I find when I'm not memorising – there's a pressure off and I can relax and really I actually can engage with the audience more because I'm not trying to remember. Um, but when I see someone just performing and, and something so well rehearsed that it's, it's like a theatrical performance, it, it has an amazing um, presence as well. Mm. But, um, but it's really about presence, whether you're reading or you're, you're memorising something, it's about being present. To me, that is the most important thing to do as a spoken word performer.
0: Yeah, and you still need to be present when you're reading off the page and some people mm-hmm. it takes a little while to work out how to still engage mm-hmm. when you're reading off the page rather than just kind of like staring down the whole time. you still going yeah. to look up occasionally so, you know, you're kind of making some eye yeah. contact it's with just, the audience.
4: It's not just you and the book, it's mm-hmm. you and an audience and the book. <laughs> so, yeah. You know what you're reading from.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Which is why I was making a point about, Spoken word, not necessarily being poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think poetry lends itself to good spoken word because poetry exists, because human beings have a natural affinity to rhythm and and mm. that way of emotionally connecting to words. Um, but I think someone who riffs, someone who raps, someone who you know just goes up there and does a monologue that's present and emotionally connecting. And communicating can be spoken word as well, as long as they're using the tool of the voice.
3: There has to be a performative aspect to it. As opposed to someone sitting at the bar telling a story. Mm-hmm. That's not really that's not spoke I wouldn't call that spoken word, even though if they went and sat on the stage and told the story, that would be slightly different because they're taking on a, a character in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. one of the things that interests me, you know, when you go to something like passionate tongues or the dan this is where i notice it most is you can be talking to someone who's going to read later and they're really shy and they can barely speak at all and then they get up on stage and it's a completely different persona because these words have sort of coalesced inside them and they're it's almost like there's a there's a singer around melbourne who's a when he speaks, he stutters. So when he's introducing the song, mm-hmm. he's got this stutter. And then when he opens his mouth and sings, it's, you know, it's perfection. And I think you see that in spoken word as well.
4: Yeah, especially if you're not such a chatty person. He's chattier than me. I'm, to, I'm looking at Anthony right now. Um, and for me, as when I'm reading a poem, I just feel I'm, I'm in a different mode. But at the same time, I like naturalism in, in reading. I like the nat- the rhythms of the natural... Voice and that sort of natural way of speaking when you're performing poetry as well. That's something I enjoy.
1: And you have to want to be there. You know, there's the countless uh, poets who I love. They used to read on open mics. They used to do features. Uh, you know, you could invite them and say, please come and do us a feature, and they'd say yes. And as they've grown as artists or moved into different aspects of their life, they may still be writing, but if you, you could offer them all the money in the world and they'll, no, I don't wanna be on the stage anymore. I don't wanna read my, my work out loud. I've finished my novel. I've released my collection of poetry. I don't feel I need to be there to sell it, to, to communicate it. It does that itself already. Mm-hmm. And that's neither right nor wrong, but this is where the aspect of spoken word comes in. You have to want to be on that stage. You have to want to communicate to the audience because otherwise publish it, put it online, Try and get it published by a publisher. Vanity publish it. Self-publish it. Do whatever you want with it. Mm -hmm. Spoken word is for people who want to be up there. Mm -hmm. As if through my reading of my work or someone else's work or through my communication of my art, I can give this to the audience and get something back from them.
4: It's an exchange.
1: Yeah.
4: Yeah. And you have to be interested in in making that exchange and engaging. And in that case... Otherwise stay in your your garret... Writing and yeah, just putting yeah. out a book. And As writers,
1: we spent a lot of time painting in a cave. And there's nothing mm. wrong with staying in that cave and just painting on the walls. But if you want to, you frame it, you take it out, and you hang it in the sunlight. And anyone can hate it and anyone can love it. But there it is. That's what you do now. You're sharing it. And if it's not, if you don't want to share it, stay in the cave. <laughs>
3: I think another thing, another important part of it you mentioned as an exchange um, is the listening aspect. So the audience is just as important as the performer mm-hmm. because you get exposed to a range of different ways of saying things and different ideas that um, influences your own writing. Mm. Um, you might come away from a gig and have, you know, I, I notice a lot of people at gigs, they have a notebook and they're writing as they're listening. There's a lot of people who do that. Um, Some people, John McKelvey, will stand at the bar with his drink and a little bit of paper, and he'll be writing a poem as he's listening to other people. And then he's he's in the moment. He's written something that responds to something that somebody's said. Mm. Um, And I I like that aspect of it, that it's a very fluid art form.
0: Yeah, I often find that, 'Cause I'm quite obsessed with going to gigs. Like I love like I, I feel like I'm missing out on something if I haven't gone to like a gig like that week or whatever and I'm like I really need to like constantly be listening to the art form. Like I feel a compulsion to listen to spoken word much more than I than I feel a compulsion to, to read poetry at the moment. Like I still read poetry but for me hearing what other people write and speaking it in person often will drive me to go back and then like go home and write my own pieces or if you pick up people might be writing around certain themes or whatever and I think that does influence your own writing some people might say I guess that kind of creates the echo chamber or like things where like people are kind of saying the same stuff but I feel like spoken word is often a conversation and I feel like it's actually you want to bring in new voices who are saying stuff stuff differently but you also do want to like not just perform things that are like fixed in your own head like they're still responding to other
4: people a lot of the time?
2: May, if you think that everyone's saying the same thing, you haven't been going to enough different gigs.
4: (laughs) Well, that's one thing that I think we should talk about is getting out to other gigs and coming out of your comfort zone a bit because I know a lot of people go to the same gigs because they... All their friends go to that gig and they feel comfortable with that sort of, um, you know, whatever the formula is for that mm-hmm. gig. But, you know, I have people that I see only at La Mama and they only come out, page poets that only come out to La Mama Poetica and then you don't see them anywhere else and then you get people who only go to Slamma Lama Ding Dong mm-hmm. and I never see them at my gig. So I think it's good to see what else is out there and branch out a bit, you know, so you're not listening to the same stuff all the time.
1: and it, Because it does get to the point where it, it seems... Like you're you're stirring shit with a shrinking swizzle stick, mm-hmm. you know. It's the same crap that you just swir- you're swirling it around and swirling it around, and everyone still applauds you when you get up and you do your stuff, and you get off stage, and the host always goes, "Great to have you here. Thanks so much for coming again." And you're like, "Yeah, I'm kind of boss. This is great. You know, like I really I really matter." And then, if you don't stretch out and go somewhere else, the first time you step on stage at a place where you haven't been before, and expect them to stomp their feet and light a match and throw frisbees around the room like you are the rebirth of the idea of poetry. You're in for a rude shock. Mm. You are not as important as you think you are unless you're out there experiencing other people's work, listening to other people talk about whatever it is they're talking about. A love poem, you know, written by a 65-year-old woman for her husband of 30 years technically has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. and shouldn't in any way influence or touch me in the way that it can. But I go and I hear that. And on the tram home, all I'm thinking about is just how much this woman still loves her husband of 40 years. It's got nothing to do with me or the relationship I'm in now or how I feel about the children that I have and she doesn't well, have. We. But mm-hmm. when you see it, feel it, and connect with it, it influences your writing and it allows you to grow as an artist. And it connects you with you in a different way than, like,
0: say, if you just met a woman on the tram and she's just like, "I really love my husband." And you're like, "Oh yeah, cool." you yeah. Be like, yeah, but you I'm don't really my, think about it later yeah, on. I'm my,
1: putting my headphones back in and listening to yeah. my podcast. Thanks very much.
2: For you, is spoken word more about art or more about community?
1: Art, oh,
3: art, art, community. Oh. <laughs> Somebody had to say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. community is
4: important, but the it's art comes important. first for me.
1: The uh, community aspect is very important, but the art form is what I fell in love with. I think
4: that,
0: but I think the community aspect breeds, can breed a certain type of, type of art that I find interesting. It's more conversational and more interactive. Absolutely. Than like hmm. writing poems where you just kind of kind of cut shut off from that
4: yeah I, I need a mix of that i need a mix of sitting down and being alone writing mm-hmm. and being with in the community and hearing what's out there and being inspired i feel like i need a balance of that yeah. personally
0: and i feel like it's important to strike a balance within the melbourne spoken word community in the like events have open mics and there's a space where people can get up and like um anyone can get up and use those three or five minutes to to perform a poem um, and. Whether whether anyone in the room thinks it's good or bad, it doesn't really matter. Some people just get up because they like the the whole thing about reading. That's that's fine. But then there's also um, some events where they're curated. You have features. Mm-hmm. People are kind of rewarded for for doing spoken word well, um, or at least mm-hmm. from the perspective of that particular convener. Um, and in some ways, Melbourne spoken word does is about kind of. Uh, bringing that community together and like bringing the gigs together and um talking about these these gigs but we also have things like audacious and the youtube channel and we produce our events where we invite people to perform and those things are about we we don't just invite people because they've been around for a while we kind of try to um pick up a diversity of voices but it's kind of based on some sort of artistic standard but of course that's incredibly subjective
2: Um, I hadn't made up my mind on the art and community thing until hearing you guys talk about it. And now I think the answer is community. Mm -hmm. Because if I want art, I can go to a museum, I can go to the theatre, I can go to a dance event. I think spoken word is the only thing I can go to that's artistic. But the community is an an essential element.
3: Mm -hmm. I think also it it can... There's elements of it that are not spoken word elements, but they're still part of the community. Like mm-hmm. if you think of something like Miss Millie's and more recently Paper Waves, there's a food aspect to it, mm-hmm. um, especially um, Miss Millie's. You know, there's a great... Um, JJ makes food for mm-hmm. everybody. And that's a really... You know, everyone loves that break where they can go and mingle with everyone and they talk about what they... Either the poems they just did or or just anything else that this. And they eat and they exchange ideas and things like that. And you think of the work that um, uh, Michael Reynolds does and other photographers. I think that's part of the community as well. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like a it's like a record, and people like seeing themselves. Um, It's a good way of reviewing. Um, There was a poet who said to me once that uh, there was a she recognized herself for the first time looking at a photograph of herself she never saw herself that way that is a
4: compliment as a photographer for someone to say that to you
3: but Mm. seeing that Mm. but seeing the photograph of her performing she uh, she uh, (laughs) she saw herself for the first time in a way um i think michael reynolds
0: said the other day on facebook that uh when he's taking photos of people he wants. Um, people to feel proud of what they do and that's mm. part of like to me maybe that's one of the things that kept me coming back to passionate tongues was I got up for that first time at the open mic you took a photo you tagged me on Facebook I saw myself I'm like oh I'm a real artist I'm like up mm. on there's like a record of me doing it and I shared it on Facebook to a lot of my friends who still don't get what poetry is and they're like and I'm like look I'm on a stage I'm reading poetry and like um it felt (laughs) more
4: to your friends basically and it felt more
0: real than like um I guess just writing poems and sending them off into the ether for to be rejected or not responded to or whatever and I like the kind of poetry aspect, which
1: the is, photography aspect. Which is, mm. you know, you have to want to be there. Mm-hmm. You have to want to get up on that state. I've, I've said before, you know, the best poet in Australia now probably doesn't read on open mics, probably doesn't submit to journals, probably doesn't publish. The most talented poet Australia has produced is sitting somewhere after a day of whatever they do, writing in a book, putting the book in a drawer, Going about their life. Mathematically, that's the most likely thing. But we want to do be there. We want to communicate. We want to share our art.
4: And the hopefully, that person will find us mm-hmm. through melbonspokenword.com. <laughs> yeah, nice plug.
0: <laughs> yeah. What are your markers for yourself of a good spoken word piece?
1: Of of our own, or, or of pieces that you uh,
0: see, other people you see, yeah.
1: A good I honestly. Could, word piece. Yeah, I honestly couldn't pick up a, a marker. I, mm-hmm. I, i'm as I'm as uh, amazed by you know uh, Luca lesson and 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 uh, Omar Musa and what they do when they're given mm-hmm. space uh, to perform and the the rhythm and the bounce of their language and the force with which they deliver it, as I am with Jennifer Compton or uh, or Ian McBride, who, mm-hmm. you know uh, they they command the stage in a very different manner. Is there something universal about what they do though? The really music. nice words. That's all it takes for me. I, I all really I've ever nice. cared about hmm. you know since I first started reading and 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 falling in love with poetry is the words placed in the right order and hmm. in, and done beautifully so. For me it's often
0: it's not even just like the whole poem has to has to do this, but if there's a line that put something in a way that I've never thought about it or like heard someone say about it before, I'm like, Oh, I didn't think about it quite like that. But for me, a lot of the time it like, there has to be some sort of emotion or it has to be about something. It doesn't have to be about everything, but it has to, there has to, I, I find I tune out to poems that are just kind of too abstract or like, um, or I can't kind of, kind of work out what it's about, but it has to move me in some way. And, like, it can be just, like, a series of images or it can be a story, but it has to, yeah, it has to do something different and make me feel things, like.
4: Yeah, I I need emotional presence there, but I also need to feel intellectually challenged a little bit so it's not all emotion. I, I know I'm a bit of a word nerd, so I love when people do original things with language, um, but you need I, you need a combination of those things. But I, what turns me off is when people overperform things, and when the performance interferes with the poetry, where I can't concentrate on the poetry. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's it's that perfect balance of of presence, emotional emotional presence, um, challenging your audience a little bit, and sincerity. Yeah.
2: As an audience member, not as a performer. Right now my answer would be guts and consideration. Mm. So, um, someone who's gutsy even mm. e- either by being sincere or by being authentic.
4: I like gutsy, that's a good word to use.
2: Or even they're not being sincere, they're trying something new. They're mm-hmm. not quite mm. sure if it's going to work or not, but they're gonna try their heck out. Um I, I appreciate that. Or someone who's just spilling their guts on the stage, literally, like <laughs> yeah, artfully, artfully, but literally, but balanced by consideration for the audience. Mm. I'm going to mm. try and make this entertaining. I'm going to try and make this not that painful. I'm going to at least encapsulate this um, gut spilling in some artistic form that's, you know, that contains it for the audience. I'm going to try mm. not to bore the
4: Considering the audience is hugely important in
3: spoken word, I think.
1: I'm going to try and make this fit into the three minutes that I've been allotted on the open mic and not take over the gig. <laughs> uh,
3: I think being moved is, mm. is what I, I really like. I like to... And, and being surprised. Um, it doesn't, I'm not necessarily that fussed about how great the words are. Um, you get a lot of young poets who you know they're just starting out and they're using, uh, using a lot of cliches but they're getting they're getting their they're yeah. getting an emotion across and they're giving something of themselves um, and I think that comes down to respect for the audience as well and willing to share um, yeah I think just being moved is what I really like to feel even if that's and that doesn't necessarily have to mean it's poignant or sad or, you know, make me angry or anything like that. It could be just laughter. It could be something if something's incredibly mm. funny. Mm. Yeah, often my yeah. favourite
0: part of the dan is hearing Tim Train get up because <laughs> he offers such a different kind of take to the rest of the rest of the open mic, often he'll get up and do something silly or kind of tongue in cheek, often like kind of ribbing himself or ribbing poets in general. Mm. And like it's such a nice fresh like breath of fresh air for him to get up and do that and it kind of change can often I'm really impressed with people who can totally change the mood of an Mm -hmm. event um by like just doing something different something funny or like if everyone's kind of joking around and then someone gets up and does some really heartfelt stuff and you're like and you can change and see the whole audience kind of sit down and take notice um that really impresses me but um on what you were saying about the dramatization and stuff, I like the performance, I like performance and stuff like that and like movement and like using your voice. But for me, it has to feel like there's a purpose behind it or there's some sort of intent and like, you know, what kind of what you're doing with it. Um, Whereas I feel like a lot of people kind of add emotion or like, um, or pick up the volume often on their pieces or like add movement and stuff because They feel like that's what you have to do, yeah. Um, because that's what spoken word is, and for me, that kind of c- comes back to the thing a lot of us have said it's about being authentic, yeah, and, and not um, putting on
4: affectations, yeah, to please the audience, and yeah. just being yourself, yeah.
0: And I feel like, like, no one's gonna get up and say, like, you can't get up and do that, but I feel like newer poets will often do that, and then they'll kind of by finding themselves more comfortable, kind of learn how to be themselves. And that's kind of what kind of makes people stick around and kind of they realise they want to want to be there, I think. Mm. I think um, when
4: you're nervous in the beginning too, you sort of try and you do things, you move around more, you you, you, you know, and then you start to feel a bit calmer and you, you're more present gradually, hopefully.
3: Mm. <laughs> that's why I think getting back to something that Anthony said before, that's why I think it's really important to go to a lot of gigs and be a newcomer mm. um to overcome that that feeling of being in front of a completely new bunch of people and not you know and having to gauge your tone um choosing what to read how how is that going to play with these people um i've read the same poem at lots of different venues and it'll be <laughs> people will be mm. in stitches at one mm. and then stare blankly at it's the amazing
0: other. isn't it <laughs> mm. So the last question I had, I guess, was thinking about as we're producing Audacious at the moment, and I maybe it's just because I was editing video today as well, was what do you find um, works better as a spoken word piece on the stage versus listening to a spoken word piece or listening to an audio recording um, or watching a video? And like, do you find you can't engage as well with one or the other or things that just don't work? Ju- like just as an audio piece or only
3: work in live performance. I find live performance is much more engaging than listening. Um, and I think it's because of the eye contact. Uh, mm. And that's why I prefer for the for audience engagement. I prefer it when a, a poet memorizes because of the eye contact. And some people read and they look up a lot, but a lot of people just look at the
1: mm.
3: the page all the time, um, and that's when I close my eyes because and just listen to the words because maybe that's what the poets, you know, they're they're just reading mm-hmm. the words. So um, I close my eyes a lot at gigs unless I'm taking photographs, and that's a disadvantage really. <laughs> <laughs> mm. But that that goes for video as well. Um, so I, I find it, I find a lot a lot easier to be engaged when I can see the performer. Mm.
1: I don't. I'm completely and entirely stimulated by the words. Often at a gig, I as Brendan said, I close my eyes. Um, I've I've been in situations where after a gig, someone said, "Wasn't that amazing the way that she was really taking over the stage and." You know she was doing x, y, and z and and i I was like, w- was she i didn't I didn't see her. I wasn't looking it it it, it I find visual more distracting mm. than anything else mm-hmm. my My brain is focused on hearing as many words and and as I can engaging with them in that way and that way alone. so it, I love audio tracks.
0: For me, it depends on the poet. Often if I'm listening to a particular poet and I really want to concentrate on the words, I'll, like, look down or something and i kind of be mm. – it looks like I'm not paying attention but I'm just trying to, like, just kind of look into the ether to kind of – Absorb. Absorb. But it mm. dep- for me it depends on the poet. Like someone who has a more conversational tone or whatever, maybe like Amy Bedossian is – like I, I want to watch Amy as she's mm. performing. But someone like Ian McBride, like mm. – Like you, I feel like I have to listen intently and um to kind of get exactly what he's saying because like it's so intricate in the way the way in which he places words. Like, I could never do anything like that. Like, that's just like purely in. Like,
1: well, you've got years to learn, you never (laughs) say never, (laughs) yeah. But McBride didn't fall out the way that he is, McBride has worked on his craft. Mm. But a, his
4: work yeah. is so accessible, though. It's easy to listen to, mm.
1: you know, but
4: you don't want to miss a word either.
0: Mm-hmm. You
4: know, yeah.
0: But there's something about watching him perform at the same time. Like if you look mm-hmm. up and just like the way he's like still and kind of commands the audience and like, yeah, yeah, and can creep you out sometimes.
4: I love those poets that there's only one Ian, there's only one Steve Smart. They they're, <laughs> they're just have such a character and such a, a unique voice that, It'd be a really odd thing to hear anybody else reading their poem. Um, yeah, I like those sort of poems.
2: I think for me, it comes down to the voice of the poet. Some poets have such rich voices and so multi-layered that you really just want to be alone with it. Maya Angelou comes to mind. Um, she'd be she's amazing to watch on the video, but listening mm. listening to her. On audio, you really pick up all the subtleties and emotion. Um, someone like Ariel Cuttingham, mm-hmm. I'd watch because so much of her craft comes down. She actually packages movement very, very much into the communication of her poems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for, for someone like that, I want to see them live.
3: Mm. I think there's a. I'm not plugging uh, audio recordings very well, am I? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Given that please just, buy audacious. Yes, please buy audacious. <laughs> it's uh, got a pop-up cover. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm gonna like make like masks to come with each um, with, with each poet so there'll be like a mask of like, um, like John andgleos and like y- you'll listen to like the John andgleos piece and then get like your friend to like wear the mask so you can like feel like you're making on eye contact with Joel whilst That's they're performing of- it. <laughs>
3: But That's I, I think when a... <laughs> when when you listen to a, when I listen to a recording, it feels disembodied, whereas even, even if you close your eyes at a gig and you're just listening to the person, you can't really see anything, you still know they're there, you still feel their presence and you feel the presence of the audience as well.
1: He's a big part of it too, Is listening to the audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get made fun of because I, I go... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He reacts
4: to poems very vocally.
1: Come yeah, on. and so yeah. does
3: Santa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah,
0: I do it as well. Oh. Like, yeah. Or, and, like, uh, you'll hear um, Sanferente at a slam and she'll yell, come on, <laughs> come on. <laughs> and, like, if that's in, like, the video recording or whatever, I, I make sure I leave it because it's part
3: of the poem. Yeah, so for me, uh, I prefer the the live, you know, the actually being there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the... the the recording or the video or whatever is like kind of like an artifact of like the actual live recording um and so that yeah that's the real deal that's why like the scene is based in like the gigs rather than like the cds and stuff it's like a compliment to it or whatever
3: and i notice as a performer recording as well you do perform you do perform it very differently when you know it's just being recorded and there's no audience there. Yeah,
0: Um, Yeah, I find it really hard to, um, like, get myself in the same energy. Like, I was actually recording my piece, Poetry War, um, in this very studio for Going Down Swinging a couple of months ago and, like, I had to have a couple of Red Bulls and, like, I was just, like, jumping up and down in the recording studio for a while and I had to do it a couple of times just so I could get the energy inside myself because it's meant to be, like, an excited energetic poem. But like, I did it at Ruckus the first time, and just like you just do it once, like I didn't fuck it up. But it's just because that was the mood at that gig, and like, and I sometimes like I couldn't really recreate that at another gig that didn't have the same energy. I probably wouldn't choose to do that poem; would choose to do a different poem. Okay, so my highlight of recently in Spoken Word is um, the new gig run by Ella Finelska, who's not here but on the Melbourne Spoken Word Committee, and that's Paper Waves. Um, Partly I find it refreshing because we've been asked for so long about Southside gigs and there's not that many um, on option, and I find it's good to go Southside, being a Northsider. I don't mind travelling because the gig is warm and intimate and the kind of lounge room feel of the gig um makes me very comfortable to perform at um and read to the audience i feel like it's in a smaller setting um uh i feel like there's a better connection with the audience and um ella's picked some really great features recently um some really great features coming up so that's a great new gig that i definitely think people should go to
1: Well, my highlight has passed, but will be coming up again. Um, The MSW Prize uh, last year in December, uh, which was won by the incredibly talented uh, Kylie Subski, who just had to beat out, how many were there? 30? 30 entrants, yeah. 30 poets. She had to beat out 30 poets, of which every one of them was was amazing in their own right. Um, And I think it's because, um, you know, of the five of us in this room, I've been the the longest involved. And it's very easy to get jaded and, and, and pissed off and have uh, personal grudges and slights and stuff get to the point where you think, oh, bugger it all, it's all a waste of time. What a bunch of wankers, I hate them all. I wish that just the whole idea would go away. And the reinvigoration of seeing young up-and-coming poets, older established poets, um, people new to spoken word but old to the idea of writing, people... Uh, who are used to being performers, but maybe new to the idea of a, of a, of a performance prize like this, all coming together and, and, and doing um, their, their best and their dandest. And uh, I hosted the thing, and it was a marathon session to host, but I never for a second lost the joy of being in that room. It was a really in, incredible evening, and it makes me believe that this ridiculous art form that, you know, that... I'm helplessly in love with it makes me believe that it's worth it and I was just I was blown away by that entire evening and um so I'm looking forward to the next Melbourne Spoken Word prize and everything in between.
4: The total highlight for me was the tram gig because here we were um not in our little you know our comfortable gigs that we're used to where we sort of know what the audience is going to be like but you know going on a moorland tram and um just taking people out by surprise, not knowing whether you are going to be heckled, or, or smiled at, or ignored, and you know we got all three. <laughs> um, yeah, um, and you had to really see how your poetry would would stand that test and be very vulnerable. It was very. It was a very challenging. You're really out of our comfort zones doing that, so that was amazing, and it was a, a rare opportunity to um, put spoken word out there in the public, which. Uh, last time we did that really was White Night, in, you know, with um, people just walking past and listening. Um, and for me, um, uh, Ben was mentioning the, the int- lovely intimate gig Paper Waves and I uh, really love Alan and Cat readings for that as well. Some spaces are, are just perfect for poetry. Um, they have that beautiful intimacy and I love how I feel when I'm reading at Alan Cat. It's a wonderful gig. Um, the hosts are very entertaining. Um, I'm the door person, but I say there's absolutely no bias. Um, yeah, they're my two highlights.
2: My two favourite gigs, and there have been a heck of a lot of highlights for me last year. My two favourite gigs last year was um, Margot Coulter's feature at Paper Waves um, mm-hmm. and Brendan Bonsack's feature at the Eltham Courthouse. Um, And the reason these two um, were my favourites were because they really reminded me why, from the artistic point of view, why I go to um, spoken word events. Um, Both of them were really gently genuine. They told a story. They told a story from start to end. There was an arc to it. Um, They were very personal stories, but told in metaphorically metaphorically true metaphors and true beautiful words um and i think also because i was so surprised by both of them um i've seen both these um artists perform at open mics um, and they have very different styles but very kind of laid-back styles to see them as a feature where they had the room to just expand and tell a whole story um was was really delicate and touching at the same time. Hmm.
3: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I get two, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think La Mama is a premier gig on the scene um, because of the, the beautiful space that it's in, the, the wonderful old theatre it doesn't have the doesn't have the rough and tumble of a lot of other gigs uh, the audience is, is, is in bleachers and it's it feels a little formal but uh, and the poetry is you know top quality and the attention to detail and the curation is wonderful uh, the, 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 there's only four poets but they really complement each other wonderfully and also as <laughs> also as was said before it tends to bring people that you don't see at any other gigs. And so you meet these, you know, you meet these uh, writers that you may have read in books, but you've never met them in person before. And La Mama is often the place to meet them. Um, The last La Mama gig I went to, I met up with people from Sydney that I'd been chatting online to for years, but Mm -hmm. never met, but they came down especially for that gig. Mm -hmm. That was, that was really special. Um, and the other one I'd like to plug is a fairly new one, and that's Miss Millie's. Mm. I really love the, the intimacy of Miss Millie's. It's in a little dance studio in Brunswick, and uh, there's food, lovely homemade food. Um, it brings in a really broad range of people from all different ages and all different cultures. Um, and there's often no microphone because the room's fairly small. And the lighting's really subdued, so I can't take any photographs. <laughs> <laughs> and that just puts me in the zone, you know. I'm not concentrating on anything else, I'm just mm-hmm. listening to the poetry. Um, and the crowds are getting bigger and bigger every time. And uh, it has that it has that sense, a little bit like paper waves, where the rugs are on the floor and people are sitting on the floor and they're right at the feet of the performers. And, as a, as a listener, that's fantastic because you really feel like you're part of something special and there's a lot of first-time readers there as well. Uh, and as a performer, it feels really good because people are just they're really engaged.
0: Mm. And I think that's a good place to finish up. Thanks, everyone, for being here, for, um, for being part of episode zero of Melbourne Speaks Poetry. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.
2: Bye-bye. Subscribe
0: to Patreon. Thank you for listening to Melbourne Speaks Poetry, the podcast of Melbourne Spoken Word. Please subscribe to find out about future episodes and for more information on Melbourne Spoken Word and all of the upcoming poetry and spoken word events around Melbourne, visit melbournespokenword.com.